Let's have a word of prayer and then we're going to dive in. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your word. We praise you for the freedom that we have in you. And Lord, if we're not careful, we can take that for granted. So Lord, on this uh, soggy day, we just pray that your spirit will cut through and to our hearts. And uh, thank you for everybody that made a commitment to be here today. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. I've got an open-ended question, so don't be shy. When you hear the word freedom, what's the first thing that comes into your mind? When you hear the word freedom, what comes to mind? Anyone? Peace. Peace. What else comes to your mind? What's that? Military. Military. <laughs> I thought you said Ellettsville. Mike, okay, good. So, <laughs> so military, absolutely. What else? One more on freedom, when you hear freedom. What's that? The flag, yeah. Yeah, when we see those colors, that really should remind us of the sacrifices that we made. So I want to talk about one verse. We're going to hone in on one verse this morning as we talk about the freedom that we have that God has given everybody in this room, and it's 2 Chronicles 7.14. And here's what I'd love to do, is I'd love us all to stand together, and it's going to be up on the screen, but I would love for us to read this one verse together because we're going to, again, focus on this one verse this morning. Here we go, starting in verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will hear their land. You may say, isn't that great? Think about that verse, the power of that verse. I mean, write that on a card, put it on your refrigerator, and as you're celebrating the 4th of July, just keep reading and thinking about what that verse truly means. It starts with a short word, powerful word, and it's the word if, <clears throat> the word if. Now, that word is conditional. When we think of God, we think of love and mercy and grace, and that is totally unconditional. But when you see the word if, there's a condition. And almost every time in the scripture, when you see that word if, it is followed by the condition and then a promise from God. Matter of fact, the word if is in the scriptures 1,784 times that word if. If can change everything and if can change anything. It's interesting that in history, there's actually a theory, it's called counterfactual theory counterfactual theory. And Mark Batterson points out in his book, If, that you go through history and you just ask if questions, and then the class will talk about it. For example, what if George Washington in 1755, when there were four bullet holes in his uniform from battle, what if he had died in that battle? What if the Confederates had won the Civil War? What if the Allied forces that went up against the Nazis in World War II, what if they had failed on D-Day? What if the Cubs win the World Series this year? I mean, I want you to think about the what-ifs that all of us have in our life. What if everybody in this room was sold out to Jesus Christ? What could we do here on the West Side? You think we could change it? Do you think this room of people could change the entire lives of who knows how many people if we were all sold out to Jesus Christ. What if? It is a powerful, powerful word. If. What if? If. What? My people called by what? 
my name. My people call by my name. Zechariah 13.9 says this, I will refine them like silver, and I will test them like gold, and they will call my name, and I will answer them, and I will say they are my people, and they will say the Lord is our God. Now that is good stuff. God says, I want you to be a part of my family. I want you to go out there knowing that you live and you move through life having my name. Now think about your name and how important your name is. Um, The Robertson clan, I've shared this with you. I'm the youngest of seven. And so I have a brother now, this is really strange, who's approaching 80, my oldest brother. Now how weird is that? So when we all get together, we're a very spiritual family. Uh, We spent 90% of the time reminiscing, telling old stories, uh, telling old baseball stories, but just sharing life. We all know how that is, especially this time of year. And a few years ago, my brother Vernon was talking about, he said, do you know the story when, when mom and dad found out that you were coming into this world? He said, I was in the army, and I got this letter, and the letter basically said, we're having a baby. And he said, I said some things you don't say in church. I sat in my army bed, and I shared with my friend, what are my parents thinking? I mean, I am 24 years old, and they're getting ready to have a baby. He said, so he said, dad and I started corresponding through letter. He said, then uh, dad wouldn't call me. He'd just write, but he called me. So I knew something big had happened. And he said, you were, you had come into this world. And I said, so dad, what'd you name him? Well, we named him John. And he said, do you know why your name is John? And I said, I assume being the youngest of seven, they were really running out of options. You know, John Lee, that's about as vanilla as it gets. He said, oh, no, no, no. Dad said, uh, here's why you're named John. He said, first of all, he really likes John the Baptist. And second of all, his favorite St. Louis Cardinal is Johnny Mize. So he said, between John the Baptist and Johnny Mize, I think this kid's got a shot. I like the name John. I would never give that name up. Everybody in this room, if we just went one at a time, you have a name. There's a story behind your name. Some of you have amazing stories, and you know as parents and as grandparents, the value that you place on the names that you give your kids and your grandkids, even the nicknames, those names are so vital and so critical. Mark Cuban, Indiana Hoosier, a lot of you know him, he's the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, Uh, he's on Shark Tank, he's very well known. Uh, He's always trying to find creative ways to make a buck and to get his name out there. And he has a good friend who's on WGN Radio in Chicago. His name is David Kaplan. And he was trying to find a creative way to get the name Dallas Mavericks all over the country. And he loved the fact that he he reached such a huge sports audience. So he offered him $50,000 if for one year he would change his name to Dallas Maverick. And he said, no way. But he did this on the air. So everybody started emailing this guy saying, are you crazy? 50 grand just to change your name for one year. So Cuban called him back and said, I'll tell you what, I'll up it to 100 grand to change your name for one year from David Kaplan to Dallas Maverick. And he said, I can't do that. And here's why. No money, no money is worth giving up my name even for a year. My name is my birthright. It's my integrity. It's my credibility. That's a great answer. 
but there's a name greater than any name in this room. And when you give your life to Jesus Christ, what is that name? I'm a Christian. Now, to a lot of our culture, that doesn't pan out well, does it? But you're a Christian. Uh, Marie and I, just a few days, we're going to be traveling. And one of the things that I love as I travel is I love to talk to strangers. I love to talk to folks that you just get a sense that they're believers. That you can just say, hey, are you a follower of Christ? Or, I mean, you don't usually start the sentence that way. Like, I like a cup of coffee. Are you a follower of Christ? I mean, I know that. But you get into, are you, a, are you a Christian? And then they just share life story of how God is moving through life. In Acts eleven twenty six, we found out that in the, the church, it's the first time that they call these followers of Jesus Christians. That name is such a powerful name because anywhere in the world that you go, there's other Christians. And what is your common denominator? The blood of Jesus Christ and the freedom in Christ. If my people called by my name will what? Humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Humility. In Matthew 23, 12, it says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I'm sure you probably remember this, those of you that uh, were alive at this time. It was a late summer evening, and the news broke that Lady Di was in a car wreck. Do you remember that? And then not long after that, they came back, and she was uh, declared dead. And that was on August 31st, 1997. What's interesting is five days later, Mother Teresa died. And so in a span of just a week, you saw these two funerals. Do you remember Lady Di's funeral? I mean, who else can have Elton John play Candle Wind at your funeral? And I can still see the hearse going through the city. Do you remember that? And the thousands of flowers being thrown on her hearse and, and just people just mourning openly and just crying out. And then you saw Mother Teresa's funeral. Very simple casket. It had the, the nuns gathered all around her casket. And though there was so many people there, totally different look. These are folks that had no money. So my question is, who had the greatest impact on this world? Really? Who had the greatest impact? Well, I have to say it's this little bitty gal from Calcutta who completely lived her life humbly for the least of these. That's who has the impact in this room. It's not the folks that make the front page of the paper that usually make the impact in our life. It's the folks that humbly serve day in and day out. Christ has called us to be humble. And when we humble ourselves, and then when we learn to pray, amazing things can happen. Prayer should always be our first response, not our last resort. And those who pray then will do what? Seek my face. We've been talking throughout uh, this series about my story, my song, uh, hymns and songs that stir your heart. And uh, as I was a, a kid sitting in church, and we used to sing out of the hymnals, and uh, they would post them up. We'd have the one-person leading songs, and, and I didn't know very many of the songs. I should have. I sang them every Sunday, or I tried to at least hum them. I usually was telling my sister not to sing. Have you ever sat by somebody that's not that great of a singer? That was, I'm like, seriously, you're singing way too loud. So that's, that's how spiritual kid I was. But there was a song that I loved 
Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Anybody remember that beautiful hymn? Uh, written in 1922, and here was the chorus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your face to God. I remember coming home at lunch on January 28, 1986, and the news was all over about the space shuttle disaster. Remember, they just kept showing that explosion, and they kept showing the family's reaction in the crowd. It was just terrible. And I remember as Ronald Reagan spoke to the nation, I remember how he concluded his speech. And I want to just read these words, because to me, they still stir my heart. It says, the crew of the space shuttle Challenger honored us by the manner in which they lived their lives. We will never forget them, nor the last time we saw them. This morning, as they prepared for their journey, and they waved goodbye, and they slipped the surly bonds of earth to touch the face of God. To touch the face of God. I want you to think what that means, to seek the face of God. What it tells everybody in this room is God wants a relationship with you. God doesn't want to feel like he's a billion miles away. He wants to be up close and personal in your life. Think of the relationships that matter most in your life and think of what you really need for that relationship to get stronger. And it's always face-to-face -face time, isn't it? As great as Facebook is, is it as good as sitting down with somebody face-to-face? -face? No way. When you've got a good friend and maybe you haven't seen that friend in years, you could, you could go back and forth and text and Facebook, but there's nothing like just a cup of coffee or sitting out on a back deck and just living life and getting to know them. God wants that from us. He really wants a relationship just like that. He said, listen, if you will humble yourself, if you'll pray, if you'll talk to me, but will you seek my face, it'll change your life. And then he closes out by saying, and they will turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive them of their sin, and I will what? I will heal their land. Now, I want you to think about the power of those words, if you turn from your wicked ways. And that's simply the word that we have in our language today, repentance. Now, here's what that means. Gordon MacDonald used this biblical metaphor for the times that this particular text was written. He said, if you remember, they lived a life of agriculture, and they had a life that the danger was going out into the desert. So he said, think of it this way. If you move from a territory that you know well, like a nomad would do, out into a region that you did not know, it didn't take long in the desert, that you'd retract your steps, and immediately you would tell yourself, if you're lost, I've got to change direction." Because if you don't, your life will be threatened. Now remember, this is before GPS. But if you have GPS, what does it tell you to do when you miss a turn? What comes up? Reroute, reroute, reroute. And that's exactly what repentance is. Repentance is saying, I know I've drifted away from God. Some of you right now, coming here, that's where you're at. You are walking or running away from God. And I tell you, it doesn't work. And you need to reroute your life. You need to say, God, I need to turn around. 
And that's what repentance means. It's saying, God, not only do I need to come clean with you, I need to make, and this is hard, I need to make some changes. And then God promises us, I'll forgive you. You'll never get so far away from me that I will not forgive you. And I will what? Heal your land. And when you take repentance and forgiveness and that kind of healing in, in old school language, that's called revival. How many of you have ever went to a revival? Raise your hand if you even know what that is. Okay, so how many remember the old two-week revivals? Am I the only one? Yeah, good times. Back in the day, remember, you used to have two-week vacation Bible schools. What were we thinking? And we'd have these big revivals. Remember that? You'd fill a pew. Now, when I look back at my experiences with those revivals, I'm not so sure they were really revivals. Because we did them every year. Uh, I, I look back at my church. I don't remember having an extended season of prayer. I don't remember actually praying for broken people. I just remembered those were the nights you'd have really great potluck meals, and those were the nights you'd try to fill a pew. That was really the extent of a revival. But the purpose of a revival is to draw people together and say, we are broken, and we are praying for God to show up in an amazing way. And there are people today who says, well, that's so old school, we could never have a revival today. And I got to tell you, I don't believe that's true. God can bring a revival at any time. It's interesting, at Sherwood Oaks, Brad Pontius was sharing this the other day, and I've already been thinking of how to do this. Uh, at Mexico family camp that they go to every year, they have this huge tent. It's the size of the Fellowship Hall over at Sherwood Oaks East. He's like, what can we do with that tent? And I can't stop thinking about what can we do with the tent? Seriously. Can you imagine over here throwing up a tent and praying for months and having a revival? Now you go, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Well, buckle up. Because that's exactly what we need to be thinking. How can we bring about the revival that we've talked about forever in the church? If you remember, when we started here on the west side, we talked about a survey that was done through the census, and they did all the counties in the United States. When they got to Monroe County, they asked people simply on that census, what church do you go to? Nearly 65% of Monroe County did not claim a church at all. Now, when you claim a church, that doesn't mean a thing. That's just saying, I go to a church. That could be once a year. But over 65%, think about that, say, I, I have nothing to do with the church. On a given Sunday morning, if you go all around Monroe County, the majority of people could care less about going to church. So we have a huge, huge responsibility to reach people that don't know Christ. And you know what that's called? That's called revival. Now, when we talk about that scripture, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and they will seek my face, they will turn from my wicked ways and I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I heal, heal their land. You know what he's talking about? It's exactly what Neil talked about. It's freedom. Freedom. And what do we know about freedom? Now, here we are, July 3rd. Uh, we're just on the, the other side of July 4th, and again, we celebrate, we bring family together, but what's it all about? For example, the Declaration of Independence. You ever thought about the Declaration of Independence and what that document meant? 56 men signed it, 
the boldest name, John Hancock, signed it Spot Center so that he knew eventually it was going to get to the king and he wanted to make sure that you know who I am. Do we have that kind of attitude about our freedom here in the States? Of those 56 men, 12 lost their homes, burned to the ground. Nine died in war. Five were captured and tortured. One of the stories is a man named John Hart. His wife was dying, and at her deathbed, they pulled him out. He was able to escape in the woods. He actually lived in the woods for nearly a year. And when he came back, his 13 children were all gone. His wife was dead, and within a year, he died from uh, a week. He died of malnutrition, and he died from a broken heart. The men that signed that for the freedom that we have put their lives on the line. How about the disciples? When you hear about those disciples after the resurrection, what happened to them? Well, Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew was crucified and then hung from an olive tree. Matthew was killed by the sword. John was, uh, they said, uh, hot oil was poured over his body. Then he was cast away to an island. Thomas was killed with a spear, and James was killed with a sword. You think of what those men did when they gave their lives to Christ. They sacrificed it for us and for our freedom. And today, today we need to realize that we have modern-day martyrs. Over 100 million, it's estimated, Christians around the world are being persecuted. 11 men, women, and children die every day for one reason. They say, I am a Christian. Now, when you think about persecution, being a Christian in the United States, what does that mean? What's that mean, really? Somebody's going to make fun of you at work. You know, you may not get a job maybe you thought you were going to get, but do we really face persecution like the world faces persecution? Think about that. And then in 2015, there was a video that was released of 21 Egyptian Christians, and they were on a beach in Libya. Remember that? And ISIS beheaded every one of those Christians. They wanted the world to know that basically they thought they were going to end Christianity. Really? You think you're going to end Christianity? You could kill every Christian, and you'll never kill Christianity. Why? Because you can't kill Jesus Christ, because he sets us free. He sets everybody in this room free. And do you know what they did right before they beheaded every one of those folks? Do you know what they said? We'll give you one last chance. If you'll surrender your faith, we'll take the hood off and you're free. And in unison, in unison, all 21 said the same thing. Oh, my Lord Jesus, my Lord Jesus. That's why we're free. We're free of all the things in this world that drag us down because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But here's what we all know about freedom. It isn't free. Freedom is not free. It is not easy. So when we come here to this morning, we come to celebrate what Christ has done for us. And maybe someone here today, you need to be free. You need Jesus Christ. You desperately need to change your life. And in just a moment, we're going to have communion, and we have folks here that will pray with you at any time. But the most courageous thing you can do is to just move towards the freedom 
in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, if there's anyone here today that is just struggling with life in you, that is struggling with freedom, Lord, we're just so thankful that you gave your life for us. Lord, help us to be doing everything in our power to draw close to you. And Lord, we thank you for, again, everybody that's here, and we thank you for the spirit that is in this place. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.